Before I get to my message, I need you to think with this question. Who was ultimately responsible for handing Jesus to be crucified on the cross? Who? Some say it was Judas, out of greed, who delivered Jesus to the priests. Others would say it is the priests who handed over Jesus out of envy and jealousy and malice to Pontius Pilate. Others still would say it was Pontius Pilate who's out of cowardice sent Jesus to be crucified. Others still would say it's the ones who did the nailing of the hands and the feet on the cross are responsible for crucifying Jesus. And yet the truth is, (laughs) when Jesus hung on that cross in the midst of his agony, he said, Father, forgive them all. How many of them? For they know not what they're doing. The apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, he could stand there with courage. Peter, who denied Jesus. Peter, who ran away. Peter, who went to sleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. He could stand on the day of Pentecost after the resurrection, and he would say to the Jews, you have acted in ignorance, and so did your leaders. And therefore, on a human level, on a human level, we can say that all these people played a part in delivering Jesus to the cross. But my beloved friends, please listen to me. On a much, 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 much deeper level, on a much more spiritual level, Jesus did not die the death of a martyr. What do I mean by that? Jesus went to the cross deliberately and willingly. Jesus came from heaven. He was born so that He may go to the cross. Luke says that he set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem. He would not let the disciples detract him. He would not let the detractors detract him. He came to die on that cross. So the question remained, who delivered Jesus to die? Not Judas out of greed, not the priests out of envy, and not Pilate out of cowardice, uh, but the Father, the Father delivered his own son out of love. It was Jesus willingly, voluntarily went to the cross out of love. Love for you and me. Love for everyone who would name the name of Jesus as their only Savior and Lord. Love for the elect of God from every corner of the globe. Love for the church of Jesus Christ universal from every tribe, every language, and every nation. And therefore, it is very accurate to say, you and I sent Jesus to the cross. My sin, your sin, our sin, sent Jesus to the cross. Our disobedience sent Jesus to the cross. Our rebellion sent Jesus to the cross. My spiritual death with which I was born and later made it worse by accumulating it in a life of sin, sent Jesus to the cross. But why? Why couldn't find some other easy way to do it? In fact, that's what Jesus asked in Gethsemane when he was crying. 
sweating blood and said, Father, if there's some other way, why? Beloved, because only a person who is not born with that debt of sin hanging around his neck could save and pay for the penalty of those who are sinners. And that is, my beloved friends, none other than the virgin-born, sinless Son of God who could pay our debt. Only Jesus, who is perfect in nature, only Jesus, who is perfect in character, only Jesus, who is perfect in conduct, only Jesus could pay the debt for imperfect sinners like you and me. Four things that the cross has accomplished for the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, four things that the cross has accomplished. Atonement, or satisfying the justice of God, redemption, justification, and reconciliation. Can you say them with me? Atonement. We saw in the last message that because God is righteous and holy and perfect, He demands perfection. We cannot relate to Him if we're not perfect. But who can hack that one? Who can claim that one? It's impossible. I know for one, I'm far from perfection. Far, far, far from perfection. And that's the debt I'm talking about. There is no astronaut who goes to the moon without wearing a suit, a special suit. And no one can communicate and relate to God, the holy and righteous God, without perfection. But we're not. What do we do? This is the debt with which we are born. This is the debt we have accumulated in the life of sin without Christ. Now, the natural consequences of our inability to be perfect is the wrath of God. Or as they say in England, the wrath of God. Choose your medicine. Listen, I know, I know, before, even when I was writing these words, this is not very politically correct preaching. Take it from me. There are very, very, very few left who preach about the wrath of God. When people hear the word the wrath of God, they immediately envision some madman who's out of control they immediately think of someone who's malicious and spiteful and vindictive, someone who is on a rampage. That's how most people understand the term, but that could not be further from the truth. These descriptions may describe a boss that you had at work, or even a father figure that you've experienced, and you associate God with that. And who doesn't want to avoid such a person? Everybody wants to avoid him. And that's why many people are trying to avoid God, because this is their view of God. They don't understand. But listen to me. The wrath of God is not this unpredictable vindictiveness or a vindictive act. No, 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 no. God's wrath is very predictable, and it is only provoked by evil and evil only. Don't ever forget, don't ever forget, I plead with you, don't ever forget that this is the same God who went way, 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 way out of His way to placate us from evil. This is the God 
the one who out of his mercy and grace provided a way of escape from that predictable wrath of God. This is the God who out of his graciousness provided a way for us to be forgiven eternally. The Father's love compelled him to watch his Son on that cross carrying my sin and your sin on his sinless body. The Son of God who eternally coexisted with the Father. It is his grace and his love made him willing to go to the cross and bear your guilt and shame and my guilt and shame. It was his love that compelled him to die on that cross. Why? Because God's justice and God's wrath must be satisfied. And therefore, it is God's love who satisfied his own justice. It's God's love on that cross. And so God's love on the cross did not only satisfy the justice of God— and atoned for us. Secondly, on the cross, God redeemed us. He redeemed us. What does redeem mean? It means buying back. It means purchasing something with something. It means paying a ransom for someone. While God's justice was placated by the cross, and yet Redemption reminds us of our state of slavery to sin and Satan before Christ came into our lives. The debt of sin by which we are born placed us in a chain of slavery to sin. Let me bring it all the way down to a way that everybody can understand it. A common occurrence You hear people say, after they paid the mortgage on their house, we're going to burn the mortgage, right? Why do they say we burn the mortgage? Because for the last 30 years or 15 years, whatever the mortgage, your mortgage life is, for those years, your house is a slave to the bank. You say, really? My house is a slave to the bank? Yeah. You want to prove it? Don't make your payments for the next three months. And you will know how fast they will take your house. So your house is a slave to the bank. And that is why when the mortgage is paid, they say, burn the mortgage. In far greater way, far greater way, Jesus paid the price to set us free from the clutches of sin and Satan and death. Please listen to me. Redemption by the cross means freedom from the slavery of sin and Satan. It's ours when we prevail ourselves to it. I really need to stop here and say something very important. There is a world of difference between slavery to sin and the believers who occasionally sin. Can I get an amen? Amen. There's a world of difference. Those who have experienced the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross will occasionally sin. John said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we what? Confess our sin. For the redeemed sin and Satan have no power 
holding them and keeping them. For the redeemed sin has no dominion over us. And when we sin, we immediately repent. Why? Because we have been set free and by Christ's blood, which is the price that He paid for that redemption and freedom. The cross, the cross atoned us by satisfying the justice of the Father. The cross of Christ redeemed us from the slavery of sin. And thirdly, the cross of Jesus justifies us. In the past, there were some theologians, well-meaning theologians, who tried to help people understand justification and what it means. They said, think about it this way. Just as if I have never sinned. Just as if I've never sinned. There's just an easier way to remember what justification means. Well, it's very cute. (laughs) That's all I can call it. It's cute. But justification is much deeper, has a greater and deeper meaning than this. It means not only God has canceled our debt, not only God has destroyed our debt by payment in full, but also means that He, the Lord Jesus Christ, covered us with His own righteousness before God the Father. Ah, now, because of the cross of Christ, God the Father looks upon His children through the prism of Jesus, and He sees us as righteous. Can you believe that? I find it very hard to believe, and I've been trying for 55 years. He looks upon us justified. He sees us as righteous because He sees us through Jesus. In fact, when Martin Luther, the German monk, discovered his justification by faith in Christ alone, he called it the chief article of the whole Christian doctrine. Archbishop Cranmer, the English reformer who was burned at stake because of his faith in Jesus Christ, he called justification by faith the strong rock and foundation of the Christian faith. A great theologian by the name of J.I. Packer, he called it the heart and the hub, the paradigm and essence of the whole economy of God's saving grace. Please don't miss what I'm going to tell you. This is not the same as amnesty. It's not the same as amnesty, because amnesty is pardon without principle. It's a pardon without principle. It's not even the same as forgiveness. Forgiveness is part, but it's not the same as forgiveness which means overlooking the wrong. That's what forgiveness is. I'm going to overlook it. You did the wrong thing, but I'm going to overlook it. That's where forgiveness comes in. That is not, not, not justification that Christ Jesus accomplished on the cross. Justification is an act of generous justice. Do you know what the courts of heaven says when he hears you confessing and coming to Christ, repenting and receiving Jesus as Savior? Do you know what the courts of heaven says? Guilty as charged. Ooh, somebody said, oh, it's unconditional love. Of course that's unconditional love. But the heaven says, guilty as charged. God the Father says, guilty as charged. Remember I told you the very first message? God does not minimize sin. When sin is minimized, the cross... And God cannot trivialize sin. He can't just wink at sin. 
God doesn't rationalize sin. God does not do what some preachers do and want you to feel good about your sin. No, 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 no. No. God the Father says, guilty as charged. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now you came to me through my son, and my son paid for your crime. (laughs) My son paid for your crime against heaven. Oh, my beloved friends, (laughs) please listen to me. Grace and faith are inseparable. Faith has only one function. It receives what grace has freely given. Can I get an amen? Grace gives, and faith stretched out its hands and gratefully received. And that is why the Apostle Paul could confidently say, Therefore there is no condemnation for all who are what? Good enough? Done enough? Gave enough? No. Who are in who? Christ Jesus. If you ask Paul, why, Paul? I'm really getting ready to shout now. He would say, because on the cross, God did what we could never do in a million lifetimes. On the cross, God did what the law could never do. On the cross, Jesus was condemned so that we may be set free. On the cross, Jesus' body was broken so that we may become spiritually whole. On the cross, Jesus was humiliated so that we may be dignified. On the cross, Jesus was blooded so that we may be cleansed. On the cross, Jesus was nailed to the tree so that He might pull us out of the jaws of sin and death. On the cross, Jesus was forsaken so that we might be comforted. On the cross, Jesus was cursed so that we may be blessed. On the cross, Jesus died so that we may live forever. Fourthly, by the cross, Jesus reconciled us to the Father, to His Father. Perhaps reconciliation concept is much more easily understood than probably the first three. That's why I spend a lot more time on them, but we all have experienced reconciliation. You had a fight with someone, an argument or disagreement, and you've been alienated, and you have been estranged, uh, become estranged from that person, and then a person comes in confession, and you forgive them, and you know what reconciliation is. But we all were at enmity with God. And that's the debt that I'm talking about. We're born with that enmity. We all were not on speaking terms with God. Why? Because we could not be what God demanded us to be. But because of Jesus, because Jesus met the Father's demands, we can now, through Jesus, have peace with God the Father. Now, because of Jesus, called His Father Abba, Daddy. We can call him Abba because Jesus had access to God the Father. He gave us the key to come to the presence of God the Father. How come, you say? Because Jesus Christ is the only one who could reconcile us with God the Father. What a deal. The cross atoned by satisfying the justice of God the Father 
The cross redeemed us and set us free from sin. The cross justified us by grace. And the cross ended our enmity with the Father. And so, my beloved friends, I want to end where I began. Who crucified Jesus? We did. Judas's greed was our greed. The priest's envy was our envy. The pilot's cowardice and fear is ours. Perhaps what says it best is the old Negro spiritual. Were you there? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? The answer is yes, I was there. I was there. So were you. I was there with my greed and hatred and envy and anger and lust and unforgiveness. And so were you. I was there with all of my shame and guilt. I was there with all of my plotting and scheming and betraying, handing him over to be crucified. And so were you. Oh, but I'm ecstatic about the fact that he washed me with his blood. He redeemed me with his sacrifice. He justified me by his grace. And he reconciled me with the Father through his death and resurrection of his Son. All I want to say is, praise God. Praise God. We say it with me. Thank you for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, Bible teacher on Leading the Way. Learn more about the global ministry of Dr. Youssef and Leading the Way by visiting ltw.org. That's ltw.org.